Go ahead and be seated, please, those of you who are here and those of you who are at home. Thank you. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, we'll be reading verses 9 through 14, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. This is the word of God. It has all that you and I need for life and godliness. Give it your reverent and careful attention as I read it to you. And he also told this parable to certain men, to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful or propitious to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled. But he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you that your word does endure forever. That while... Nations rise and fall, mountains become plains, the earth will pass away, your word will not pass away. We thank you that we have this precious word before us, we rejoice that you had it inscripturated so that we could reliably find it and know it, your mind, uh, your truth. We ask that you would bless us now as we explore further this passage, a familiar passage. Would you please speak to our hearts? Lord Jesus, you need to be our preacher. Please be so. And would you please use this to make us more like yourself and to love you more as a result of what we have heard. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, when I was a little boy, I used to have dreams about flying. I remember I would, uh, I would. Uh, the dream was I would be in a windy uh, outdoors in my side lawn, and it would be windy a day, and I would just fall forward like this, and the wind would just, as I had my arms out, and the wind would just take me, and I would start rising above the the uh, our property, and I'd fly over our house, and it was wonderful. Um, and I, I remember being so disappointed every time I woke up, 
because I realized, rats, that, I can't do that. And there were a couple times when I actually tried. Maybe you've done that. In a strong wind, you know, we've had a, um, some, some strong winds. Uh, we've had some recently. Uh, maybe you've tried to hold your arms out and see if you, you can feel the wind blowing on the palm of your hand. You go, well, maybe, maybe. The truth is, kids, no matter how hard we try to fly without the aid of some machinery like an airplane, we can't fly. You'll ne- you're never going to be able to fly, nor am I, as much as I might like that, as much as you might like that. We cannot do that. It's impossible for us to fly just with our hands flapping or, or whatever. The same is true, kids, with pleasing God. We cannot please God by trying in our own abilities to please God without having Jesus there. We can't make ourselves acceptable to God, ever, no matter how hard we or anybody else among the human race tries. We can't do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. We need Jesus to make us pleasing in God's sight. And this parable makes that point eloquently. And so listen to this parable. Listen for the two people uh, and how different they are and their attitudes. Because it's the attitude of the one and not of the other that you need to have if you're going to be forgiven by God and loved by God and go to heaven. So, without any further ado, uh, Jesus here is addressing this parable, and it is a parable, um, to two uh, or excuse me, to uh, unidentified individuals. We don't know who he's talking to, but he is talking to some folks. And But the thing we do know about these people that he's addressing is he's addressing people who were very confident in their own ability to earn God's favor, to, to please God, if you will, uh, by their own performance of good deeds, doing things like obeying Proverbs 26, for example. And they thought that if they worked hard, they could obey Proverbs 26 and other passages of Scripture and actually please God in their own, uh, their own efforts, by their own, uh, by their own striving to do so. And specifically by keeping the law of Moses, uh, which is, uh, the Old Testament, uh, version of God's will. This brings me to the three points that I want to make that, uh, are important to see in this passage. First is this, if you are relying on your good deeds to make you acceptable and pleasing to God, consider the two men depicted in this parable. We're going to consider those two men in a moment. Secondly, if you're relying on your own good deeds to make you acceptable and pleasing to God, consider the two prayers prayed in this parable. And then finally, if you are relying upon your own good deeds to make you acceptable and pleasing to God, consider the two destinies reached in this parable. So first, you need to consider the two men who are depicted by our Lord in this parable. The first is a tax collector or a tax gatherer. The uh, line, the first line of the parable, uh, which begins in verse 10, is two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax gatherer or tax collector. 
Now, Jesus was talking to these people who thought that they could please God by their own obedience. And these people, listening to that first line of this parable, would have been shocked to hear that a tax gatherer was going up to the temple to pray. That would have been jarring to their ears. Because you see, tax gatherers were considered the very dregs of Jewish society, as many of you already know. And, and with good reason. They were, they were considered on a par with immor- uh, those people who were sexually immoral uh, in deviant ways. Uh, and tax gatherers were of the same variety in terms of their, uh, their status. And the reason they were so, uh, hated, and they were hated, was because they were employees of the Roman government, the hated Roman government. Rome, oppressed, uh, was uh, heavy-handed in its dealings with many of its uh, the, the, the nations that they subjected, probably particularly the Jewish nation. Um, and as a result of their heavy-handedness and their dealings with this conquered people of theirs, the Jews hated them as a, as a nation, as a people. Uh, and they oppressed them in many ways, uh, one of the worst of which was through very heavy taxation. They taxed them heavily. And the tax gatherers were, the, were tools of the Roman government who were used to extract its monetary pound of flesh from its conquered peoples, including the Jews. Uh, and what made matters worse about the tax gatherers in Israel, or Judea, I should say, which is what it was called in Jesus' day. What made matters worse was in Galilee and Judea, the tax gatherers were themselves Jews. They weren't Romans. They were Jews whom the Romans had recruited uh, and were using. And so they were considered by the rest of the Jewish populace to be traitors. They were traitors to the, the Jewish cause, if you will. And to make matters even worse than that, they regularly were they were known they were notorious for using the leverage provided by their office and the power provided by their office to gather funds from jewish their jewish compatriots they regularly used uh, their office to extort money from other people to line their own pockets they were vile folks uh, on the whole So the suggestion that a tax gatherer would go up to the temple to pray to Yahweh would have been laughable. It was just kind of absurd, really. And so to hear that, these folks hear Jesus say it, a tax gatherer, really? On the other hand, a Pharisee was also mentioned by our Lord as going up to the temple. And this made Loads of sense uh, to the hearers of this parable. The Pharisees were among the most devout and therefore most respected religious groups in Israel in Jesus' day. So it was perfectly natural to think of a Pharisee going up to the temple uh, to uh, pray to the Lord. Because that's what Pharisees were all about. That was their kind of, what they were known for is their piety, their devotion their service, their faith, if you will. And their opinion of this particular Pharisee that Jesus describes in this parable would have been only further enhanced by what this man prayed, by the content of his prayer. 
uh, but we're going to get to that in a, in a few moments. Um, well, actually, uh, that brings me to the second point, and that is uh, we're going to look at the two prayers that were prayed. And first, I do want to look at the Pharisees' prayer. Um, he was clearly a very religious man, as we can tell from the content of his prayer. He says, um, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. And one of the ways we know he was very religious uh, and very serious in his religion was that he went well beyond the minimum requirements established by the Mosaic Law uh, in terms of what he did for God. The law, you see, the Mosaic Law, only required a man to fast, uh, or woman, to fast once a year. Uh, And that was on the Day of Atonement. So this man fasted 101 times more often than the law in a given year than the law required. He fasted twice a week. So 52 weeks in the year, doubled it, 102 minus 1, 101 more times than was required by the law of Moses. This was a religious man. So thought uh, the uh, listeners, undoubtedly, of this parable. Not only this, but the law only required a man to tithe on certain types of produce that he acquired or grew. But this Pharisee didn't just tithe on his produce that he acquired or grew. He tithed on everything he had. He was a stellar religious man. So thought, undoubtedly, those who were listening to Jesus tell this story. So, if Jesus had concluded his parable with verse 12, I fast twice a week, I pay tithes of all that I get, if he had concluded there and asked his listeners, which of the two men's prayers would please and be heard by God? They would have thought he was actually kind of crazy for even asking. The Pharisee, of course. Listen to what the Pharisee said. Of course it would be the Pharisee that God would be pleased to hear. But as we learn by the end of the parable, it wasn't the Pharisee's prayer, but the tax collector's prayer that God heard and answered. So before we get to the tax collector's prayer, let's think for a few moments about what went wrong with the Pharisees. What was wrong with the Pharisees' uh, prayer and with the Pharisee himself? What was the problem here? Well, his most obvious problem, and it's pretty easy to detect when you read the parable and listen to the parable, is he has a narcissistic fondness for himself. He's in love with himself. In two short sentences, he managed to mention himself five times. He's rather obsessed with yours truly. Not me, but him. As one commentator put it, for the Pharisee, prayer was just another way of reminding himself of what a great guy he was. Which is true. Quite evident. His enormous self-love caused him to look down his nose at others around him. Just about everybody, in fact, who wasn't uh, as zealous about the things of God as he was, or the things that he was zealous about that he considered important. 
And on this particular occasion, uh, the one that he was looking down his nose at was a tax gatherer who was praying, standing nearby in the temple precinct uh, within uh, visible sight of the Pharisee. Perhaps worst of all about the Pharisee is the Pharisee believed, he genuinely believed that God ought to be impressed, as impressed with himself as he was with himself. He was very impressed with himself, and he actually thought, well, God should be just as impressed with me. That was the worst part of what he had done and of the attitude that he harbored. So why is this belief, uh, this uh, self-congratulatory attitude, this self-righteousness on the part of a religious man, Why is this so odious a sin in God's sight? Well, for two reasons. You can boil it down to two reasons. Uh, First of all, because of what it says about his prayer and his attitude, what it says about himself, what he's saying about himself and what he has done, and secondly, about what he's saying about God. So first about himself, it's odious in the sight of God to have the attitude of this Pharisee because of what the man thought about the value, the moral value, of the deeds that he had done. He thought that what he had done was worthy of commendation and reward by God in and of itself. God should be highly impressed with him, with his deeds, when in fact we know from what we read in Isaiah and elsewhere, that God views the deeds of anybody who's not hidden in the wounds of Christ, who isn't a believer, as filthy rags, and that's putting it politely. This man hadn't a clue that that was the case. Hadn't even a clue. So that was the first thing that made this sin this pride and this uh, self-love of his so odious in the sight of God. But the second thing, and even worse, is what he was saying about God by his attitude about himself. He was infinitely underestimating the burning holiness and righteousness and justice of God. He was treating God as if God were like him and had the same attitudes as he did about himself. He was, he was pulling God down to his level and saying, you should be impressed with me. And by doing so, he was, he was defaming God, and he was uh, mocking God's moral purity and God's burning holiness and justice, which is infinite. And this man, again, was a fool, an absolute fool, because of what he believed about himself and about God. Now, while it is quite easy to see how self-righteous the Pharisee indeed was in the parable, what you and I need to understand is there is all too much of the Pharisee residing in each one of us. 
We all have some Pharisee in us. We all do, no matter how long we've been Christians, no matter how much spiritual advancement has taken place by the grace of God in our lives, there is still Pharisee in every one of us. I'm confident of that. Whenever you or I compare ourselves to others and congratulate ourselves quietly so that no one's listening, but congratulate ourselves for being uh, a better person or a better Christian than the person we're comparing ourselves to, we are acting just like this Pharisee. Whenever whenever, uh, you or I go for a long period of time, perhaps even days, without being aware of any sins that we've committed, that we need to confess, we are acting just like the Pharisee. Whenever the sins of others that we see committed by others around us are more egregious to God, or we think they're more egregious to God than our own sins are, we're acting like this Pharisee. Don't think there's no Pharisee in you, there is. The tax collector's prayer, let's talk about that for a moment. The tax collector prayed with an entirely different attitude um, and in an entirely different manner than the Pharisee did. Unlike the Pharisee, the tax collector knew whom he was addressing. He was addressing and knew he was addressing the awesome, infinitely holy, just, sin-hating God of the Jew. And that he clearly understood this, that that's whom he was addressing, is evident from the manner in which he approached God in prayer. Let me reread verse 13. But the tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven and was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful or propitious to me, the sinner. Ordinarily, people prayed with their eyes raised in uh, Jesus' day. But the tax collector could not bring himself to do that. Because, unlike the Pharisee, the tax collector had a proper reverence for God. A proper fear of God's burning holiness and his hatred of the man's sin. And so he greatly humbled himself before God, as evidenced by his refusal to, or his unwillingness to look up, um, and also by his beating of himself, his body, as he approached God. Rather than comparing himself to others around him the way the Pharisee did, he could think of nothing but his own uh, failings, his own sinfulness, his own. Uh, um, undeservedness of God's mercy. He measured himself not against others around him. He measured his moral standing, if you will, or moral condition against the infinite moral purity and perfection of his heavenly judge. He got it right. He he properly understood the situation. And so he beats his breast and he does not look up. He can't look God in the eye, if you will. 
And it's against that standard of measure that this man used to evaluate his own sinfulness that he saw himself, uh, that he compared himself, and he saw himself for what he really was, and that was a vile sinner, richly deserving of God's judicial wrath for all eternity. And he was filled with a sense of shame on account of his own sin. So how do you how do you view God? How do you approach God when you pray? With what kind of an attitude do you approach God? Do you grasp when you come before God the awesome moral purity of and justice of God? And now let me say something about this. We as Christians are not supposed to principally, I don't think, uh, I'm confident are not supposed to principally think of approaching God as judge and think of him as as angry. We're not supposed to think of him as angry toward us. We relate to God as children to a father if we're Christians. Now, if you're not a Christian, he's an angry judge, and he is angry at you, by the way. And he's going to send you to hell if you don't flee to Jesus. But if you're a Christian, we relate to God as children before a father, and we need to think that way and 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 grasp that, and that's very important. But even as we think of him as father, we need to, at the same time, keep in mind that he is a God who is blindingly holy and infinitely just, and indeed hates sin. Even though he is our father, we mustn't, we mustn't forget that he is also the God that he is. And so, as we approach God, we have, to keep ba- we have to keep a balance, you see. We have to understand, I'm approaching my Father in heaven, but he's not like me. He is perfect. I am not. Do you approach him with that attitude when you come to pray to him? Probably all of us have been cavalier in our approach to God at times. Hey, God, just kind of throwing prayers up. And it's good to pray regularly to God and to, you know, to, to uh, pray without ceasing. And we can be, um, we can be, we don't have to be all formal in our prayers all the time, but even if we even if we don't have to pray in a, in a more formalistic sort of way, uh, we still need to pray mindful of who we're talking to and what he's like. He is our Father, but he's our righteous, just Father as well. How do you think of yourself when you're approaching God? Do you see yourself the way the Pharisee saw himself? as someone God should want to have with him in heaven? Now, you're going to heaven if you're a Christian, and you need to praise the Lord for that. But don't think it's because you deserve to be there. Don't ever approach God thinking that. We need to view ourselves. We need to remember that we are, like the tax gatherer, 
gather, except we're forgiven, although he was forgiven at the end, as as you'll see here in just a moment. But that we are forgiven tax collectors. We are forgiven sinners. Loved, forgiven, cleansed, all that's true. And we need to keep that all in mind. But we are still former tax collectors of a sort, if I can put it that way. Sinners who desperately need the mercy of God every day and the grace of God every day and the forgiveness of God every day. Do you approach God that way? You need to. You need to. We all do. Finally, if you are relying on your own good deeds to make you acceptable and pleasing to God, not only should you consider the two men depicted here and their two prayers, but you need to consider the two destinies reached by these respective men in this parable. First, the Pharisee's destiny, that is to say, his final destination. Uh, We read uh, in uh, verse 14 that um, the Pharisee went away unjustified. Not, that is to say, not justified. Justification is a legal uh, term uh, in that's used in the Greek. It's a legal term, uh, and it's a legal declaration. The biblical understanding of it, it's a legal declaration made in the courtroom of heaven by God as our divine judge. And it's God's declaration that the guilty sinner who deserves his wrath has been acquitted of all that guilt, of the charges brought against him by Satan, by his conscience, by the world, that God has declared the person he is justifying to be um, not only not um, not only innocent of the charges against him, but actually righteous in God's sight, and not only and that uh, that that the person doesn't deserve hell or isn't going to get hell, I should say, as a punishment. We all deserve it. Let me say that again because I kind of botched that. Declaration, uh, it, it is a, justification is a declaration by God in the courtroom of heaven that we are not only innocent in his sight, but righteous in his sight, not because we are of our, in and of ourselves, but because of the righteousness of Christ, the perfect righteousness of our Savior, credited to us, imputed to us, and received by faith alone. Not by baptism and faith but by faith alone. And we are righteous again on account of the righteousness of Jesus, which was perfect and is perfect. And that perfect righteousness of Christ is credited to the believer. And it's by depending upon Jesus alone and his atoning work, including his obedience, trusting in him and what he did for us, that we are justified and only by that in the sight of God and enabled thereby to go to heaven whenever God takes us out of this world. Jesus' hearers undoubtedly thought that it was the Pharisee whom God should have justified. But the very opposite happened. The Pharisee went away guilty in God's sight, 
and headed for hell. Eternal damnation. And contrary to his hearers' expectations, it was the tax collector who went away justified by God. And the tax collector wasn't justified by God as a result of anything good that he had done. He was a wretched man. He lived a wretched life, a wicked life. He had, he had lived a life that was full of sin. Which, by the way, is true of you and me. Yes, we may be a whole lot better looking than some of the people to the left and the right of us. Neighbors, colleagues. We might be much more upstanding and much better behaved and so on, but there is plenty of sin that is in us, and we must not fool ourselves into thinking that we are somehow much different than this tax collector described herein. The same sin that was in him, the ability to sin that was in him is in you and me uh, when we come into this world. And it's only by the grace of God, after we are converted, that that sin, that desire for sin, and that sinning behavior is gradually uh, lessened over time by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit of God working in us and making us more like Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. Sanctification is glorious. The fact that we can successfully grow in holiness and put off sin increasingly and put on righteousness is a wonderful thing. But we must remember it's a God thing. And we have to remember from whence we have come. We are like the tax collector. And we, like him, can only be justified by God's grace alone through faith in Jesus alone. And that is the only way we are going to heaven. It is the only way that we will be with God who is thrice holy. That is to say, perfectly holy. And we will be welcomed by that thrice holy God into his sight, into his presence, because we will be holy in his sight, justified, declared righteous by him, but not on account of anything that we have done, but only on account of the righteousness of Christ and also the sacrifice of Christ uh, through which the payment that our, uh, the punishment that our sins deserve um, was, uh, was rendered. He took the wrath of God rather than ourselves. So let me ask in conclusion, which of these two men best represents you? Who do you identify with? Who, which of these two men describes you? I hope, and it needs to be, the tax collector, not the Pharisee. If you have never come to Christ, if you've never understood that you were um, a sinner deserving hell in God's sight, uh, never understood that Jesus alone can make you right with God, all you need do is nothing. You don't need to tithe. You don't need to. Um, uh, you don't even need to pray. Truth be told, you just need to believe in Jesus, the Jesus who saves, who is. Savior, yes, and Lord of those whom he saves. We give ourselves to Christ, uh, and that is uh, in faith, and that is how 
we, uh, that is the kind of person that is forgiven by Christ. The one who says, Jesus, I want you. I need you and all that you are, uh, and you need to take me and all that I am uh, and save me from myself. And if you do that, you will be forgiven forevermore, but not until. May God give you the grace to trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a gracious God who is willing to pardon the likes of sinners like uh, ourselves, like this tax collector mentioned by Jesus in this parable, like Mary Magdalene living the life that she lived prior to her conversion. Lord, you take wretched people and you save them. You are most gracious. We thank you that for those of us who are your children already, who are trusting in Jesus, we thank you for forgiving us, Lord, for loving us. We thank you that you have given us new destinies, that we are no longer hell-bound, but we are heaven-bound. And we thank you so much. Would you please help us to show our thanks by fighting um, the good fight of faith uh, all the days of our lives? Would you please help us to hate our sin more, the, th- the sins that continue to plague us and that we continue to be drawn to? And we ask that you would cause us to love your will uh, by, because we love you more and more. Would you please plant a deeper and deeper love in us for you and thus for, your, for what pleases you? And Lord, we pray that if there's anybody listening uh, in this room or remotely who is unconverted, who has not truly understood the magnitude of their own wretchedness and deserving of your wrath and has not also, prior to this point anyway, understood their desperate need of Christ, would you please give them faith to believe on Jesus. Give them a new heart so that they want the Savior who alone can save them. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive now God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.